Money. It affects our everyday life. But how do we make more of it? Manage it. And make sure we make the most of our money. Welcome to Money Mindful, a podcast to teach and support you as you learn to manage your money. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mindful podcast. I am your host, Megan, money mindset and empowerment coach for women who want to connect with their future self and create the life they want to live on purpose. There are lots of ways we can create money. One way that is very popular here in Australia is, of course, investing in property. Property investing isn't for everyone, but if you've ever wondered about how to get started investing in property and what exactly is involved, you're in luck because today on the show, I have Head of Research and Managing Director of Propertyology, Simon Presley on to talk to us all things property investing. Simon, welcome. Great to have you here on the show. Hello, Megan. Thank you for having me on. Ah, I've been, I've had it in the back of my mind for a while because sometimes on the show, I just make the odd reference to buyer's agents or what's involved with investing in property. And I think I've got to get a buyer's agent on the show to explain all things property investing and what a buyer's agent actually is. So perhaps Simon, could we start with a little introduction to who is Simon Presley, and what do you do? What is propertyology? Okay, um, who am I? Well, I've got a banking and finance uh, background. Always had a fascination with um, with numbers and um, um, and economics and and commerce. Um, I've been in business for twenty two years now. What does propertyology do? I guess we're to use an analogy, Megan. We're what a, a stockbroker might be to a share investor. You know, we aim to offer the same sort of thing for a property investor. So, the so people pay us a predetermined fee to help them invest in real estate. So, we don't sell property, don't have any houses or apartments for sale. And 100% of our clients are everyday Aussie mum and dad investors. So, it doesn't matter to us where our client lives or indeed we even where our office is. All of Australia, if you like, is equivalent to our stock exchange for a, for a property investor. So we're, we're analysing the um, investment fundamentals of all of our capital cities and all of our regional cities, and, um, and then we help people invest in strategically chosen parts of Australia. Right. So why property, Simon? Why property? I think it's probably, it's not a conscious decision I made, but I think it dates back to my childhood, Megan. Um, you know, raised, uh, my father was in the army, so you know, uh, in my school years it seemed like every Every year or two, we were we were transferred to a different part of the country. In my, when I around the time I entered the workforce, my father stopped working in the army and he never had a house. And I guess it's because he was moving around a lot. Military people are provided with a house whenever they transfer somewhere. Society, as you well know, and talk about a lot on your wonderful podcast, society does not teach financial literacy, including my mother and father. So I guess I was entering the workforce at the same time seeing my, my parents entering what should have been the time of their life that they could enjoy retirement, but they didn't even own a house, let alone have an investment nest egg. So it wasn't that mum and dad ever sat me down and taught me about money. 
I guess I just observed as I, you know, um, through my adolescent years, the importance of making good money decisions. And from that, I was I became very determined to buy a, a family home as quick as I could. And then from that, you know, leverage off that off that equity um, to build an investment portfolio. That's a long answer, but that's you know that that's why. Yeah, and I think that's a common. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just because I feel that too. But I can very much relate to wanting that security and wanting to have a place that is mine. That this is where I live, and I have some sort of safe, secure place in the world. The irony is I live in a rental because we've just moved into state, but that's totally fine. Um, it, but there's this somehow there's power for me in owning land and having shelter that I can live in at some point in time if I need to. So, Simon, those who listen to this show, they might not be familiar with you. I'm very familiar with who you are because I've heard you in the media so many times on different programs. But perhaps you could share with our audience, what are the fundamentals of property investing? Like what should we be taking into consideration when we invest in a property? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And it's uh, if I'd say the biggest mistake um, that property investors make is that they repeat the process buying an investment property for when they buy the family home. They're probably not doing that consciously, but they are programmed. Human beings are programmed to do all sorts of stuff, consciously or subconsciously. We need to remember as a property investor that the bricks and mortar and the things that we relate to property, um, we need to separate that because that's, that's all emotion. When we're buying a property to live in, I'd say the number one thing we need to satisfy is, is emotion. But Megan's emotions and Simon's emotions are completely different. So when we're looking to buy an investment property, it's a financial decision. And we need to see property then as a financial instrument in, a, in the same way that a share investor would be choosing stocks on the stock exchange. Hopefully a share investor wouldn't be saying, I must invest in Commonwealth Bank shares because I bank with Commonwealth Bank. It's got nothing to do with the investment decision at all. A property investor, however, that's what almost everyone does. So they say, oh, I live in Sydney, I live in Brisbane, I live in Melbourne, wherever they live. And their search for a property very rarely ventures beyond their hometown. That is a completely flawed decision-making process. You've narrowed your focus to probably 1% of all your options. You've never, ever considered the other 99%. So... Fundamental to making a good property investment decision is to see property not as the bricks and the mortar, not as the schools or the shopping centres or whether you would or would not live in that city because that's a subjective thing. We need to see it as a financial instrument and we need to understand there's a difference between desire and demand. And property, property markets all the time, we hear the, the terms supply and demand and people say that as if it's uh, a very simple process. I'd argue there's nothing more complicated on this planet, perhaps other than trying to find a cure for cancer, than trying to interpret property markets. It is extremely complex, but an individual's got no chance of forecasting how a market might perform in years to come if we're focusing on, on the bricks and the mortar and would I live there or would I not live there. Yeah, and that's right. And it, I think with shares and property, they're very similar in this way, that nobody, well, Maybe some people think they can, but 
Personally, I think they're deluded. Nobody can predict what is going to happen with the property market or what can happen with shares, but we can make educated decisions, right? Based on certain fundamentals. And perhaps Simon, that you could you could talk to some of those fundamentals, like how do you as a buyer's agent make decisions about what areas you're going to invest in? What do you look at? What are the important factors involved with choosing areas to invest? Yeah, so how we do that now is is a lot different to how I might have done that. You know, certainly how I did do that in my first investment property nearly 30 years ago. I, I, hand on heart, I've studied Australian real estate history. So that means that looking at the, the evidence, the um, property market performance for as far back as the official data takes us, for not just our eight capital cities, but there are an additional 177 individual regional um, towns and cities that have a population of 10,000 people or more. So there's lots and lots of um, locations for investors to pick from. So how we pick locations um, is based on first knowing what the evidence says and then digging deep and sort of saying, well, there's a location that, you know, 10 years ago had a boom and there's another location at the same time that had a big downturn. What actually caused the boom? What actually caused the downturn? And then what we're doing, because um, you said there's no guarantee in investing, the next best thing to a guarantee is to look for the leading indicators that the historical studies have taught us that when you get this set of ingredients, usually good things happen. Conversely, when you get this other set of ingredients, a not so good thing happens. So now what does all that mean um, on the supply side of things? It's not just the, the volume of properties in a town or city today. It's what's in what we call the supply pipeline, which is really controlled by the local construction sector. So one part of Propertyology's you know, daily activities is looking at every location in Australia and what is the construction industry doing in each of those locations. And that's not just where are they building now. It's, it's one step before that. What have they had approved through the local government authority? Because they need to do that before they start turning the soil. So that's on the supply side of things. There's also the rental supply side of things. So these are existing properties that are you know, or already built, but how many of those are available in the rental market? Uh, and is that too much or not enough? On the demand side of things, I used to think, like just about everyone on the planet thinks, that population growth is the number one thing for housing demand. The historical evidence actually says that's a flawed statement. In a practical sense, I understand why everyone thinks that. But there are, history is full of um, uh, situations where individual towns and cities have performed really, really well. Their property markets have performed well, but their population growth might have been modest or in some cases might have actually gone backwards. So the housing demand side of things, um, it's really local confidence. If we have a think about property, it's an expensive asset. Um, and before we buy that asset, we're really got to buy the debt first. The not so sexy thing, but we've got to buy the money. And one needs to be in a particularly positive, confident sort of mindset before we reach out to our local mortgage broker and say, can you arrange a loan for me? I'm about to you know, invest in property. So where's that confidence come from? Um, it's really all the things that are happening within the community of an individual town or city. And the biggest common denominator there is local economic conditions. So I would spend more time um, looking at local economic conditions throughout Australia um, each day more than anything else. It's the most complex bit, but the most valuable bit to focus on.
Okay. So you who are listening right now, if you're suddenly thinking, what? I have to (laughs) go out and research the economy and the population growth and everything going on. Where do I even start? What suburb do I even look at? Here is what you do. And here is what I've done. And listen, this isn't, I'm not telling you this is the right way to do it. It's not the only way to do it. And I know that there's, um, I've met, I've had a good friend of mine on the show before. She buys and researches properties herself. She's totally into it. She will spend heaps of time doing that. We both learned together actually, like how to do that, like actually got training to do that. And so that's a thing. You can do it yourself. But for me, when I bought my second property, investment property, I went through a buyer's agent. I actually used Propertyology, full disclosure, because I am totally not interested in spending my life doing that. I just do not, no offense, (laughs) sorry, no offense, but the researching towns and the economy and employment is just totally not my zone of interest or, you know, or genius. I don't want to become an expert in that. I'm not going to be buying properties every week, you know, not even every year. So it's something where I made the conscious decision that I'm going to go out and get somebody to do this for me, who's a professional and does it every day of the week. And so that's where a buyer's agent comes in. Now, I'm not trying to sell you on the idea of a buyer's agent, but I just want to present to you what a buyer's agent does and why they might be useful to use if you are looking at investing in property. So this is your, I'm I'm putting the floor to you now, Simon, to just tell, give us the rundown. Like what exactly does a buyer's agent do? Okay. A buyer's agent is a reverse of a real estate agent. So the, the real estate agents, um, you know, licensed professionals, the, the Ray White, LJ hookers of the world that are in every town and city in Australia trained professionals but their clients are the property owners so someone who wants to sell a property will sign a a legally binding document with the ray white lj hookers of the world um, to help them sell a property asset and the real estate agent is paid by the owner of that asset to um, to market it to to promote the features and benefits of it to handle inquiries, open homes, auctions, whatever it is, um, to do the negotiation. Uh, in the negotiation part of it, the real estate agent is trying to get the highest price because, again, they are contracted by the owner of that asset and they're bound by law to act in their client's best interest. Right? So the old-fashioned DIY way of buying a property, you know, back in the day we used to look at properties that were advertised in the newspaper. Now it's more online, but still... Um, we then go to open homes and auctions and that sort of stuff as a DIY, and we're talking with that real estate agent. And whilst they're more often not very nice people, um, very professional, they're not working for you. They're working against you. And they're doing something every day that the average property buyer will be flat out doing two or three times in their entire life. So a buyer's agent is that same licensed professional who does it all day, every day, but they sign a contract with the buyer of the property. And and this legally binding arrangement there is for the buyer's agent to act in the buyer's best interest. So they've got no properties to sell. There's no 
no um, pictures of, of houses or apartments in their shop front window. Their objective in working their buyer's best interests is to agree initially on the brief. You know, what, what, what sort of property are we looking for? What objective does it need to achieve? Um, if it's the family home, they'll be talking to, you know, to Megan and her husband and understanding where they want to live and how big it is and what their budget is and all that, how they got a feel in it. As a property investor, if the buyer is, um, is looking for investment purposes, that's a different brief, right? But the buyer's agent's role is to first help establish clarity with their client. This is the objective. Um, here's the roadmap ahead of how we're going to achieve that. The buyer's agent is then the one looking for suitable properties, finding the right property, recommending that to their client, the buyer, then negotiating the lowest price for them. And there's all sorts of negotiation tactics that buyer's agents use, knowing what to look for, uh, helping with due diligence, you know, organising building inspections, pest inspections, liaising with conveyances, liaising with financiers. All the way through this, problems appear. You know, something, we'll discover something today we didn't know yesterday. That's the nature of buying property. The buyer's agent who's buying property every day will have come across that before. They'll know uh, some warning signs, you know, and then, and then where to go to dig further um, to see what the right outcome is is for their buyer. So, um, yeah, hopefully that, that makes sense and people, helps people distinguish the difference between a sales agent and a buyer's agent. Yeah, and my two cents that I want to add to that is that something I hear spoken about more so now than ever is the cost of property and how prohibitive it's been. And there's, you know, the, the jokes about avocado on toast for breakfast and why we can't afford to buy property and all these things. But reality is like we've just moved to New South Wales and I've been talking to some people who we're a bit out of Sydney, but closer into Sydney. It's true in terms of the house prices in inner Sydney that maybe that is out of reach for some people that are entering the market for the first time. But I'm just going to like blow your mind a little bit here and this is why you might want to consider a buyer's agent that when we went to buy our first property investment, I knew that we had a budget up to 400000 Now, we were living in inner city Melbourne. So you know what that gets you in Melbourne. That's like, well, barely anything, maybe a little dog box crappy flat in <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and in terms of when you're looking at the fundamentals of investing and what makes a good investment, that didn't uh, match the brief for for getting a property in Melbourne. But I knew that I wanted an investment property, and here's the thing: when you engage with a buyer's agent, like Propertyology. And by the way, there's nothing going on here. I've just invited Simon on the show. I'm not trying to like, when there's no money going under the table here in this conversation. But a trained buyer's agent who's doing research in areas around Australia can actually present to you areas where you could buy that might not be where you live, but are in another area of your state or even in a different state. And so when we presented that to Propertyology, we were able to invest in a property that met that brief. You know, we didn't invest in the inner city suburb of Melbourne, but we now have an investment property that we could buy for under 400000 And I think that 
this is something I really want to land for you because if you are sitting there thinking, I can't invest in property, that's impossible. I can't, you know, borrow a million dollars or $800,000. You, yeah, that's true. You might not be able to do that, but maybe you can borrow 500,000 or 400,000 and property investing is actually available to you. And that's a myth that I want to dispel that it's possible. You can actually get into the market, but you have to be willing to be wrong, I guess, and think outside of the square. And and because this is happening, I've done it. Like I'm an example of this. I have a property when we bought it, it was under 400,000. And that was what we could afford at the time. And we're in, you know, we're in the market. We, we didn't have to think, oh, we can't invest because we don't have $800,000 to buy a crappy house in, in inner city Melbourne. I mean, what do you think mm. about that, Simon? Would you agree that this is like this common thing that people think, like they can't get into the market because it's too expensive? Uh, it is. And it's especially common, I guess, you know, let's face it, Sydney and Melbourne um, are our most populated cities. Um, but the thing is, it's impossible to know what one doesn't know. And what's normal for you, it doesn't mean that that's the only way or that it's normal or that your normal is the normal somewhere else. I'd argue that there is, I mean, Australia is often referred to as the lucky country, but for property investors, it is definitely the lucky country. Uh, I mentioned earlier, eight capital cities and 177 non-capital city towns and cities. So we have, we have got such a diverse range of wonderful communities to live in. now. Uh, sorry, to, to invest in. Now, you'll pick one of those that suits your needs to live in. But there's a whole bunch of others out there that suit other people's needs. And some of those would be great places to invest in, even though you might not um, want to invest in them. Well, they're saying where, but here's some real numbers because I, I can recite these because of um, an existing client uh, reached out to us yesterday looking to invest again. So in March 2019, 14 months ago, we helped him buy his first investment property, which was a four-bedroom, two-bathroom solid house in a very well-established regional city for $317,000. A lot of people living in Sydney and Melbourne will go, I didn't even know you that was possible anywhere, right? $317,000. He contacted us yesterday because he's arranging pre-approval to buy his second investment property. And he shared with us, he said, my loan's all, all in place. The bank has valued that property, that Propertyology helped him invest in just 14 months ago, and it is 18.2% capital growth in just 14 months. Um, at the time of him buying that first investment property 14 months ago, um, the, the rent's gone up by a little bit. He, he does not put his hand in his pocket, not one cent for the entire year to cover the cost to hold that investor property, and he only paid a 10% deposit. Again, some are living in an expensive city like Sydney and Melbourne go, oh, I didn't even know that's possible. So there's no cash flow impact for this um, real life property investor at all. And he's got just short of 20% capital growth within a short period of time. So that highlights, you know, one cannot know what they don't know, but if you just allow yourself to have an open mind, um, you never know, you know, what might be possible. Yeah, that's right. And it's about 
one, education, and two, just getting out there and doing your research. And I'm not suggesting that you have to go out and research every single state and become a, an expert in data analysis, but you've learned now from this show that there is a there is a job description called a buyer's agent. These people exist and they're in every state in Australia and some operate Australia-wide. I, you guys are Australia-wide, aren't you? Are you Australia-wide? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I probably should touch on the difference of buyer's agents as well. Yeah, please do. Yeah, tell us. Uh, because there's a different reason why someone might use a buyer's agent and not every buyer's agent will be useful to every buyer. Think of buyer's agency as a profession, but similar to some other professions, there's a, let's, let's refer to, the, in the medical profession, there's a general practitioner, a licensed professional who has an, a holistic look at medicine, but they're not a specialist in every field, right? There'll be times when the general practitioner will refer you to the cancer specialist or whatever. Think of finance like that as well, all right? The buyer's agent in Sydney or Melbourne uh, might be useful to help you buy the family home in the city that you live in and the city that they operate in. Propertyology is the, is the specialist. We won't help someone buy the family home. That's not saying it's not important. We're saying that's a different set of skills to investing. To buy the family home, that's an, a highly emotional decision and there'll be some really good buyer's agents in every capital city and some of our bigger regions that I'd highly recommend reach out to them and engage them to help you buy the family home. As an investor, though, you don't want that strong emotional intelligence person. You want someone who's very pragmatic and data-driven and forward-thinking who only buys investment properties um, and who literally looks all over Australia because no one city will always be a good time to invest. Every location, there'll be good times to invest and other other years when it's not, not a good time to invest. So... Um, Propertyology, our office is in Brisbane, but Brisbane's not our market. Our market is literally all over Australia. In fact, I've bought very, very few properties um, for our investors in Brisbane over the last 10 years because our research has suggested there's a lot better opportunities out there in other parts of Australia. Yeah, and Simon, can you elaborate some more? Like, Just imagine that somebody who's listening has never heard of a buyer's agent before. Like, What's the minutiae involved in, you know, so do you have to, would you have to fly into state to see the property if somebody was buying a property for you in another state? Like how does it work? If it's, um, if you're engaging the buyer's agent to help you buy the family home, um, I would say definitely at some point you, you, you should, as the buyer, you should inspect that property you know, in the flesh because it, you, you need to be happy living there. And only the buyer can answer that question. No one else can answer that question for you because it's your emotion. As the property investor, though, uh, no. Um, in fact, seeing, seeing a property in the flesh as an investor it could actually bring in, uh, well, it will bring in emotion, but it could bring in emotion that actually get in the way of making a really good financial decision. You know, for, for example, um, seeing a property in the flesh and the sales agent has done a really good job with the lighting and, and the roast chicken is cooking in the, you know, in the kitchen and then the flowers at the front door and the gardens have been freshly cut. Hey, the heart's pumping and the brain's going, this is the one. But that's actually got nothing to do with it. That's, that's, that's emotion talking there. Conversely, you could inspect another property and it, and it might be um, you know, significantly unrenovated. 
So you walk in and you see the 1970s original, you know, bathroom tiles, the, the, the Mission Brown, real small things, and you know the kitchen that's dated, and 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 and, and the emotions going, yeah, you know, nah, can't see the growth. When actually that might be the best investment property. Um, the key thing there is I've just spoken about aesthetics, and the aesthetics are not important to the actual capital growth. Um, so the trained buyer's agent will know what are the things to look for and to place more emphasis on for what is a financial decision as opposed to emotional decision. Um, there are some things from a quality control point of view that the only way to satisfy those quality controls is a physical inspection. But it's, it's then getting the most qualified party, the building inspector, the pest inspector, um, the buyer's agent checking out, you know, is the room size okay? Is the street selection right? You know, um, what's been approved within in this community? How is this community going to be changing in the next few years? So the things I can't see with my eyes now, inspecting the property in the flesh is not going to answer that for you. But the buyer's agent will know, you know, changes that are planned and approved for, for that area. So the buyer, if they're an investor, is it important they should see the property? No. Um, your buyer's agent will have processes um, where required to inspect properties and verify certain things at certain times. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And one reason, another reason why I like to use a buyer's agent because I'm all about what the house looks like. I don't care about the suburb or it's like, what does the house look like? Is it nice, clean, fresh white paint? Is the bathroom nice? Is the kitchen nice? And I would totally, I just know what I'm like. I know that I would be looking at that when I'm looking at a property, whether it's for me or not. And it's so hard for me to see past that. Like I just, it's like, well, if I wouldn't want to live there, who would want to live there? Truly. But yeah. and, and we've all done it, Megan. Yeah. We've all done it. I've, I've done it as well. Uh, not for a long, long time, fortunately, but you don't know what you don't know. And it's not, a property is not like an outfit, right? We're not feeling it to feel good. It's not like ordering, you know, a meal off the menu at a restaurant, you know, because that's what we like to eat. It's a financial instrument. The key to making a really good financial decision as an investor, as opposed to an owner-occupier, is to treat it as a financial instrument. I've bought properties when I was much younger. You don't know it at the time, but the decisions then were heavily influenced by how I felt when I inspected it in the flash. And I said, this is the one. And it's not till several years later when, when you're then monitoring the performance of, of that broader market and then how, and that individual property that I'd chosen several years ago, then you, you reflect back on, yeah, this wasn't the best decision. Not that it was a tragedy or anything like that, but you, it's not till years later you realise, I was really influenced by how I felt back then, which is really silly as, a, as an investor. So structured decision-making processes, which is part of what Propriology has, is, is partly designed to allow the brain to process the most important information and to quarantine the other stuff that really is noise that can get in the way of a, a really clear and informed financial decision. Yeah, and just to be it's clear... Way of property. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's important to point out that that doesn't mean that property investors are like cold-hearted people and the houses are horrible and not fit for people to live in not at all but just what it means is that a house that I want to live in personally what suits my needs it doesn't necessarily re reflect the needs of the community where I'm buying the property and you know I have a property that is not 
like to my taste. It's not sort of the kind of place that I would live in, but we've had it rented out the whole time. And, but at the same time, you know, there's nothing wrong with the house. We had to get that the heater broke down. we got it fixed straight away. You know, like all these things, just, it's just property investing is like having a business. It's the same thing. Like if you sold a product or if you had a, a, I don't know, a car rental company. I'm just trying to, I'm making this up as I go along here, but the car might not be the kind of car that you want to drive, but the person who's renting the car, that's exactly the car that they want. And they're really happy with it. That doesn't mean that you're not giving them the best quality car possible for that person. It just means it's not what you want. And I think there's a I really want to be clear of that because I've heard people talking before, even in my group of friends, that it's kind of like this property investing thing. It's, uh, well, I know we've all, some of us have all experienced having property owners who aren't, you know, maybe (laughs) the nicest property owners, but not everyone's like that, you know, and you don't have to be like that either if you're investing in property. You know, I send all my tenants a gift every Christmas because I'm like, hey guys, you have looked after this house and cared for this house. And this the, I see my my tenants as my clients, as in like I'm running a business and they're my customers. And I want Absolutely. them to be happy. You know, like if anything ever breaks down, I get it fixed immediately. I remember at one stage we had this pregnant woman in one of our houses that and she was, you know, due and it was a crazy heat wave period in the town where it was and the air conditioning broke down. And when the agents called me, I said, get someone out there immediately. <laughs> like, you know, and this is, you can be a property investor and have a heart. Like just because you're looking at a, buying a property somewhere and you're looking at it from an investment perspective and what's the word I'm looking for? You're making decisions from a non-emotional space. That doesn't mean that you can't provide a good quality home for someone to live in. Good good point, Megan. Yeah. So, Simon, I, I think I'm going to change things up a bit as we move in towards the end of this interview. Um, oh, actually, just one quick question that I didn't ask you. Do you have to have qualifications to be a buyer's agent? Uh, yes, you need to have a license, the same as a real estate sales agent. So you need to be licensed in the state that you are transacting in. In propertyology's case, we're active in just about every state in Australia, so we need to have multiple licenses because legislation is different from one state to the next um, in real estate. Um, and I guess what then what a consumer is is looking for is not so much qualifications over and above that, but years of experience. You know, skin in the game. Does does the buyer's agent walk the walk, do they practice what they preach, I think is an important thing. Um, have they got some scar tissue? Um, you know, in our case, we were investing in, in properties before the GFC days, du- during the, the GFC, post-GFC, mining boom, mining downturns, and now um, this dreaded COVID virus. So that's, that's lots of experiences and all these things um, influence property markets. And I would also add to that, does the buyer's agent actually have properties themselves? Do they invest themselves? Absolutely. If, if, you're, if you're looking for a buyer's agent to invest in, absolutely. Um, the same is uh, if you're looking for a financial planner who's recommending that you invest in shares or manage funds. So they do that themselves. You know, if not, well, why are they recommending that you do it? 
Yeah, that's right. So Simon, in regards to property investing, if there was one thing that the listener today could take away from this conversation, what do you think is the most important thing? Yeah, um, see property as a financial instrument, as an investor, not as the bricks and the mortar and the, and the schools and the shopping centres and the parks and where I live there. See it as a financial instrument. And you cannot give yourself a good chance of making the best decision possible unless you first review 100% of your options. So see every capital city and every non-capital city location in Australia as all of those options. Unless you can put your hand on your heart and say, I have studied the fundamentals of all of them, and from that process I've derived at investing in location X, then you've given yourself no chance. I would argue that no DIY could do that because that's not a hobby. That's a full-time profession. But then perhaps the best decision they could make is go through a structured process to find a professional who they can trust and have confidence in to help them do that. But the biggest takeaway I give to any property investor, where you live should have zero bearing on where you invest. Believe me, as a younger version of Simon Presley, I did what every other DIY property investor did. I tossed up you know, a few suburbs in my hometown, you know, um, thinking I had Colonel Sanders' secret herbs and spices. And I considered, I hadn't even considered my, my, all of my hometown, let alone all of Australia. So I only had myself to blame when five years later, my property was worth pretty much the same as what I paid for it. And all these other parts of Australia had, had performed really, really well. That's, that was my fault. But that could be a great learning tool. It's an expensive way to learn. You know, but it's that it's that individual experience in a much younger version of myself that forced me to literally study Australian real estate history. And in doing that, Megan, what I learned is a lot of the myths about property investing, they're actually not supported by the evidence. I mentioned earlier population growth. People think it's the most important thing. Far, far from it. Nowhere near my top 10 most important things. But I wouldn't have known that unless I'd studied the evidence. Yeah, that's so interesting. Simon, I know that you're a dad. What is the most important advice you would pass on to your, is it children or it's one, you've got one? I've got, I've got a teenage boy. Oh, all right. There you go. So it's all. That counts for a couple, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so what would you teach him about, what What do you teach him about money? Do you teach him about money? Yeah. Um you know, whether I'm, uh, whether I'm great at it, I don't know, but parenting's hard and we certainly try. Um, we've used pocket money um, as, I guess, the, you know, a, a basic building block for later in life when, you know, when he starts working and earning money for himself. Or, you know, he's not given pocket money, he has to earn pocket money. The same as you or I or anybody else who earns an income, you have to earn the income. Um, if you don't do, they're, they're not hard jobs, but if you don't do the basic chores around the house, do not expect to get the pocket money. If you do a job half-hearted, don't expect to get 100% of your pocket money. Uh, how we also teach him about money is if he wants something that's, you know, quite expensive. Um, he loves his Lego, um, and that can be quite expensive. A, a bike or, you know, all the things that kids want is to rather than just give children something because they want it, it, it. You know, depending on what the value of it is. So a bike, for example, we might sort of say, well, you, you first saved the first $100. You're teaching him to be disciplined with money and that life is not about I want and I'm automatically given because that's that's what a lot of parents do I think lovingly but you're actually not teaching 
children good habits that because when they can come adults wanting something it doesn't all of a sudden land in our lap ah totally agree totally agree and i always end simon on just asking my guests if you have some sort of habit money habit or ritual that you do that you'd be happy to share something you do personally that that helps you with your you know money management that the listeners might benefit from yeah look it's a basic principle but sometimes the basic things in life are also the most valuable i quarantine money for different purposes so um you know as a, as a late teenager in my first job and earned very very little money I remember I had a, a money box of sorts that had different compartments in it. And when I got paid, I would put X dollars, you know, in the petrol compartment and X dollars in the entertainment compartment and X dollars, you know, in whatever else, the holidays or, you know, in the groceries. Um, as an adult, I've, it's not a money box, but it's different bank accounts. So the household budget has an account that's just for our bills. So all the, the council rates and the electricity and the phone, Money comes into that account every fortnight and then direct debits are set up for all the utilities. I call it the expense account, automatically come out. So I never, ever have to um, manually pay a bill and I never have to worry about having the money to pay it. Um, as an investor, I do the same thing. So we have a different bank account for each investment property and we also have a different bank account for savings for the next investment property or for the, for the, the emergencies that every household has from time to time. So quarantining money would be my number one basic tip. Uh, that's interesting. I do that too. But it, the only thing about that is that, <laughs> would you agree, we end up having like a gazillion bank accounts. That's, that's the only the only downside, I think, to it. But I, I definitely agree and I do exactly the same thing and I feel like it just makes life so much easier. You just know that you've got the money because it's yeah. set aside in that account. I've got a friend, I won't, I won't mention her name, but she's got a sock drawer <laughs> and she's got different coloured socks and because she, she still uses cash and she puts cash in different coloured socks for different purposes. Oh, good on her. <laughs> it's the same concept, I suppose. It, it's, hey, look, if it works for you, go ahead and do it, you know. That's what, that's what I think. It's, it's, it's got to suit your own lifestyle and if socks in a top drawer is your thing then and it's working, I don't see an issue with that. Well, I guess, I guess whether it's the, um, the, the, the money box I described or our bank accounts or the sock drawer, the principle is the same, and that is planning ahead for important purposes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I think that this is really valuable information for the listeners to learn about what a buyer's, what on earth is a buyer's agent, what do they actually do and how they can benefit you. So, oh, before I say goodbye, you better tell us, how can we find you, Simon? Of course, I'll put all the links in the show notes, but how, if somebody wants to talk to you or talk to Propertyology, how, how do we find you? It's very kind of you. Thank you, Megan. Um, Propertyology.com. Propertyology.com.au. The top menu uh, ribbon. There is a there's a contact us section there. If you just want to, um, you know, just a basic email. There's a uh, a bit about us there as well. I'd recommend that everyone subscribe to the Propertyology newsletter. We don't. There's no sales material in that. I personally write a couple of research blogs um, every fortnight. And we parcel that up and that goes out to, um, to all our subscribers. So it's an education platform for property investors, completely free. Yeah, so hopefully, that's, um, hopefully that helps people. There's lots and lots of 
educational property market research blogs on our website. The good thing about that for a consumer is they can spend as long as they want reading as many reports as they want to. They'll be educated and in doing that, they'll be starting to work out whether we might be the right fit for them or not. Good stuff. All right, Simon, thank you again. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for the opportunity. Good on you, Megan. All the best. There you have it. Simon certainly knows his stuff, the fundamentals of property investing and why you need a buyer's agent all explained. I hope this has helped clarify some common mistakes when it comes to investing in property and set you up with sound understanding of what you need to consider when it comes to property investing. As always, if you want to get to the bottom of what holds us back when it comes to money and learn how to change your money mindset and connect with your future self, that is the results that you want to create on purpose, get in touch with me anywhere that you're following me. If you want to stay Uh, connected between episodes and stay up to date with all things Money Mindful, get on the mailing list, follow me on Instagram and Facebook. All the links are in the show notes. Until next time, have a beautiful week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Money Mindful podcast. For more info, visit moneymindful.com.au. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe. And remember, the information in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account your personal circumstances or goals. Please seek professional advice for your own financial needs. Remember to have fun along the way. 